Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, Doug Collins. No, not the guy from the basketball world. This guy is a former Air Force chaplain. He served in Congress. He's an attorney, and he's got a lot to say. And he's from Georgia, so you're going to love the draw. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to Sideline Sanity. You know, it's an interesting world, this podcast world, because we're all trying to get our audience, but we like to promote each other as well. And so I've got with me today, Doug Collins, who has the Doug Collins podcast. He's got the Doug Collins radio show. You may remember him uh, in Congress. And it's a pleasure to have you, Doug. Thank you for being here. Your perspective is a unique one. And I, I just love sharing the platform with Lots of different people. How are things down there in Georgia after the, you know, the Benefer wedding happened? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, the, the Benefer <laughs> wedding, life is good. I have to tell you a funny story here. And this is, is it they, the place where they had the quote one in Savannah and everybody made such a big deal of it. When I was in Congress, we used to do uh, trips that, you know, we would do uh, fundraising trips and these kind of things. We actually had an event we did every year in Savannah at that same place. I have to say ours was probably a little better, but hey, Jennifer <laughs> gets all they get all the they get all the headlines. But no, it's a beautiful place where they had it. Savannah, Georgia is one of my favorite places. When I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, I tried to discover yep. a lot of the South and I love Savannah. So uh I get it. I get it. Um but I want to talk to you about some other things. Let's, let's go current. Let's Listen. talk some current events. And I think the one that's bothering me the, the most right now, and I think it may have an impact, may have an impact on how people view Democrats in the November elections, is this student loan forgiveness. <laughs> so when you're a student and you take out loans, you mm -hmm. sign paperwork that says you will pay back those loans. I'd pay back all of mine for undergrad and graduate school. I know a lot of people who paid off their kids' loans. And now... The Biden administration is set to announce that they're going to forgive $10,000 worth of debt to those making under $125,000 a year. So if you make $124,999, you qualify. What do you make of this decision? 
<laughs> you know, the sad part about this is, is over the past, especially 20, 30, 40 years with the Democratic Party, but especially under uh, Biden, Obama, you're seeing it under Biden more than anything. In being in Congress and watching this happen, they remind me of, of two parents who fight, but yet they want to get the kids to love them. So they, they give the, what they think that they give things to people that that will make them uh, be loved. And when we've seen it in this whole administration, where it goes back to the first uh, you know, American Relief Plan, the, the stimulus package, which caused all the inflation we're looking at. But this student one is just, it grates on me. Because there, I mean, Michelle, there's just so many questions here. Okay, you're going to do $10,000 now. Well, what about the people who paid off their loans like yourself? You know, yeah. Do they go back and get a credit? You know, What about the students who come into college uh, next year, and they start taking out loans. Are they going to get a ten thousand dollar credit? Is, is it up to the first ten thousand free? Right. Um, it, it is just blatantly, uh, you know, patronizing. It's blatantly understanding. And I've seen so many people. I don't know if you have on Twitter, especially some of the blue check marks, some of the more liberal folks. They say, "Oh, this is a good thing. The government shouldn't have this debt. You know, it's free. It's not free. It's just like, it's do free. they think that the government has a garden out back that they sell tomatoes to make money?" I mean, right. no, it comes out of our pocket. That's why yeah. it's just, it, it gripes me to no end. I am constantly amazed by that perspective that people think the government money comes from <laughs> some tree that, like you said, is maybe in the backyard, as opposed to look at your paychecks, look at your pay stubs. It's coming out of your paycheck. So you should care how that money is spent. Now, when it's spent on things that benefit all of us, like defense, national security, things like that. I'm all on board because I think every American deserves to be safe. But now when you're asking, let's say a, a family making $126,000 a year, mm -hmm. their, part of their taxes are going to help the next door neighbor who decided not to pay back their debt or that they deserve $10,000 in forgiveness of their debt. I, I just, I can't get by this. You remember that viral moment, Doug? Yep. When a gentleman asked Elizabeth Warren, if you oh, forgive yeah. college debt, what about me? What, you know, I, I paid off all my kids. Do I get a refund? And she said, of course not. I mean, yep. how is this reasonable? It's, it, it isn't right. I mean, this is not just, this is insane. No, it, but, but it, it, it is communal socialist thought. Okay. And, and again, I think sometimes on the right, we have to be very careful because the minute we start throwing around isms a lot, some of the middle just sort they tune us out. It's like, you okay. know, I have the biggest watermelon or whatever, you know, oh yeah, right. But no, this is communal thought. And then they believe it goes back to this. And when I was in Washington and, and saw this up close in the judiciary committee and everywhere else is, is Democrats thoughts is this, that government does it better. And then <laughs> if you give up a little bit of your money, you give up a little bit of your freedom, that government will take care of you and and so the, it's an ingrained thought that government just does it better and they don't trust anybody else. And, I, and this is you know, been put in over and over and over again. And they don't care if it's fair. They don't want it to be fair. They want more uh, of this control. And, you know, again, Biden has an interesting problem here. You and I are upset at ten thousand dollars. His left flank is yeah. furious with him that this is not fifty thousand dollars. Right. But the question is, and I've heard this before, and I've yet to get a good answer. I'm not sure this is going to go through. And, and I'll tell you why. Somebody out there, and again, I got to figure out how, from a legal perspective, how this might happen. But if somebody files a suit or files a lawsuit or an injunction, however you look at this on, on this issue, my question is, how does a president 
under the this authority, which I, I think he's just making up, <laughs> take and and just and alter a binding contract. Right. Okay. So so my question is, if Joe Biden can do this with student loans, I'm going to call up uh, Ron Klain, the chief of staff, and I'm going to say, Hey, Ron, Doug Collins down here in Georgia, I got a truck payment. Could you knock off, you know, half this truck payment? You know, look, I, you know, I, I do help me out. And, you know, I may like you a little better. How do you get into a contract? And you stated it so well when we started. You signed that contract, said I'm going to pay it back. Yep. And you know, now, do we need to have a big conversation about student loan debt? Do we need to have a, a conversation about how much college costs and why? Yes. Do sure. Let's yes. have that conversation. Yeah. How about actually working through college? Wow. Yep. That's a still a frank concept. I, I did, did that, that, you know, back in the I day. I did that. Um, but we don't, but again, it's, it's this instant gratification mentality and you're raising a generation. I, and I, I say this with 23 year old to 30 year olds in my own family. Those are my kids. Two of them just graduated from college. You know, they're, if you listen to what they're being taught and what they're being told is you're entitled to this. Right. And that's the, that's becoming more and more of a concern. I think the bigger issues we have. I, I agree. It's this cultural phenomenon of the government it will take care of you and 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 from cradle to grave and i i don't want that i don't want to be dependent on anyone i don't want our country to be dependent on china for certain products and i don't want to be dependent on the government for how i run my life and i don't know why other people think the government as you said quote does it better what do they do better i what do they do better than 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 the private sector we have the U.S. Postal Service and, <laughs> and UPS and FedEx have found a way to do it better. It's more expensive. That is for sure. And you can't just put a stamp on a letter. I get that. But they're more efficient. What does the government do better? Is there anything, Doug, that the government does better that, than private industry? Well, well, let's just go back to the very Constitution. You started this earlier. The, the one thing the government, our government does best is we got one, the best military in the world. Period. Okay. End of statement. End of story. Even though they are being attacked, and I'm still in the military. I've been in 20 years in the Air Force. Still and you're in. still in it? I'm still in. And um, and, and I've deployed to Iraq. I've been all over the world. I've done this for a long time. We're the best polls bar none. But I will tell you, personal experience, the focus is becoming a little less on fighting our nation's wars and it, than it is on are you being kind and are you being diversified and are you being, you know, culturally aware. Um, look, the best thing about the military has always been is you got a brother or sister, you're on the line, you're running, you're going to war, you're going to war. I don't care what your color is. I don't care who, you know, the old famous, you know, from the we are soldiers. And I don't even care who you call God. I, you know, th these are things that we come together, we'll find common ground. Yeah. And and for me, in my perspective, it, you know, it is something that blends us together. So that's what we do best. But yet we have a, a, this administration turning it away. And it's as little as simple things. I, I have you a funny that, that I talk about all the time. My wife used to teach school. She's retired now. She taught 30 something years. And I always used to give her a hard time. And, and finally, I wised up after a few years because she just it wasn't her that was making it do it. It was the school's making it do it. But I always gave her a hard time that when kids came in with school and your kids are getting ready to go back to school, in elementary school, they all have a, a supply list and they bring that supply list in. So if I had to bring in pencils, paper and everything else, well, the first day that they get to school in second, third, fourth grade or kindergarten is they put all their supplies on their desk. The teacher comes around and takes the, all the pencils, puts them into one big box, takes all the paper, puts them into one big box, you know, and, and the kids keep a little bit for it so that everybody has paper and everybody has pencils. Now, uh, that may yeah. sound, well, Doug, what are you saying? 
Well, what does that teach? That teaches that, that if I brought my stuff, they go in the box. And if Jimmy didn't bring anything, everybody still goes in the box. Now, mm-hmm. if Jimmy needs something, then I should say, okay, here's 20 bucks to help Jimmy. Yeah. Not, yeah. you know, in a, but it's just it's those little things. And we're seeing it more and more. The internet has made it belief that everything is free. You know, you were, you know, from the media side, I used to deal a great deal with songwriters. Media. You know, they think, oh, we can just look it up. It's free. A book. Oh, I found it online. It's free. It all goes back to this mentality. And for those on the left who want you to be dependent on the government, they're just making you think it's free and what you get and, and then try to make you feel guilty uh, about the fact that you're paying taxes and well, shouldn't you pay a little bit more? And yeah. that's the way it works. And yeah. uh, the sad part about it is we only pay for all of those guys and gals out there who argue about the budget. And that's something we could talk about forever. Realize this for everybody listening to your podcast. And there's some great folks. There's only 16 cents out of a dollar. If I can pass the entire spending of the federal government into $1, 16 cents roughly is all that in about a month the Congress will vote on to fund the government. Eight of that will be defense and eight cents will be everything else you know about the government. Everything else you know about the government. It's the 84 cents of that that is Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and debt that we don't talk about. And that's why these things, that's why they, and that's why they just continue to make this foolish argument that the government can fund everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's so vast and so overwhelming, I think, for people that they throw up their hands and say, look, I've got one life to live. I'm going to, I'm going to go along to get along. I'm just going to do my thing. And if I can take an advantage of something of of a government program, why wouldn't I do that? And, you know, to hell with the rest of, of, of it, of the picture. I've just, I'm trying to live my life, Mm -hmm. but the big picture of, (laughs) we, we got to think long-term about the state of this country and where it's headed, not just for where we are at this moment, countries like China and Iran and, and, they're playing a long game. Mm-hmm. They're playing a long game that, you know, it's not just about today. It's about a hundred years from now. I think we need to remember that we're still such a young country, relatively speaking, but I think a lot of people forget what it took to create this country or they're, they're going to just say we stole it. And, yeah. and, the, and so they don't care. And it's, it's a very narrow minded look at things, but it, it, gets a little depressing. I would like to switch to an upbeat topic. So when we come back, (laughs) I'm going to ask Doug Collins what the positives were of serving (laughs) in Washington, D.C. and in the military. More with Doug Collins in a second. Well, I keep watching the stock market. I keep looking at inflation. I keep watching gas prices. And I think to myself, Things have changed a lot in the last year or so, and it's not all great. In fact, a lot of it's really making me nervous about retirement, the future, my bank accounts, my 401k, all of that stuff. And I bet you are too. Well, you know what? I've I've heard a lot about gold and silver and how investing in gold and silver is a good way to hedge against inflation and a good way to protect your wealth and your retirement. And more and more investors are looking into this. And so the company that I've worked with and the only ones that I trust is Legacy Precious Metals. You can go to LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com and learn how investing in precious metals can help you. 
I hate to remind you about 2008, but look, the numbers tell the story. Those who invested in gold saw huge gains in 2008. Other people just lost their retirements. So if you've been curious about gold and silver, if you've been curious about how these can help your investments, your 401k, why don't you call Legacy Precious Metals? Again, they're the company that I trust in investing in gold and silver. Let me give you the phone number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. And you can speak to an IRA specialist at Legacy Precious Metals. You can also go to LegacyPMInvestments.com to download their free investor's guide. It's LegacyPMInvestments.com. See how investing in gold and silver can help you protect your retirement. Doug, as you mentioned, you were an Air Force chaplain, an yep. Iraq veteran. Yep. Um, you served. And I am concerned about the military and this woke agenda that's permeating through it at maybe at the expense of be remaining the best fighting force the world has ever known to protect freedom, not only here, but across the world. Right. What was the best part? And you say you're still you're still active. So I am. What do you what do you love about the armed services? Uh, a couple of things that just stick to mind is number one, it, it's it, when you put on that uniform, you, you and I and I'm old school, and even when I went to Washington, I'll tell about that later. But it, I put that uniform on; it's my country, and, and I can remember a time in um, Iraq. I remember one morning we were running. We we're doing. A, I mean, uh, here we are. This is just military. We're running a five k in the middle of a war zone. Okay, on base, but they had a big, huge flag hung from. Uh, couple of cranes that they had and they play in this in this, one of the other service members sang the national anthem and I can still to this day uh, still hear that it's still in my mind it says you know this country is is the greatest in the world and it that's a camaraderie of serving uh, for that and and fewer and fewer people do now the other thing is 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 really that you get to see a diversity of people and talents that you may not have always uh, been a part of. So for me, it's it's not only serving your country, but then finding out that you you about other people, finding out from other backgrounds, and realizing what makes the country that you want to serve great. And and I've enjoyed twenty plus years. I've done twenty in the in the Air Force. I did about three in the Navy. Um, and you know, hopefully, if I get picked up, maybe I got another promotion in me. I may stay a few more years. <laughs> <laughs> you said fewer and fewer people are are. Deciding yes. to serve. What do yeah. you think is the biggest reason for that? Well, and that's become, Michelle, that's the real big issue right now. Because if you've looked at the news headlines lately, the Army is barely at 50% of their quota uh, for this year. You've got the Air Force, Navy, barely going to make their quota this year. Marines will be the only one that probably make it, and they're even struggling. Um, the Several things are going about that. Number one is you're having more and more military people tell their uh uh, sons, daughters, you know, nieces, nephews don't do it because what they're seeing is, is uh, our ops tempo, which means our deployments, the, the things we have to do are, are getting higher. Um, in many ways, uh, the uh, things that we have to deal with, such as, you know, just, uh, you know, everything from the vaccine to diversity training to everything else is, is, is put a strain and, and they don't want to talk about it, but it's, but it's true. Um, and let me also throw in one thing we're missing every year, the military has to bring in X amount of people to keep it current funding level or keep the current staffing levels. The number that I just quoted you does not count the numbers that have been put into inactive reserve or inactive duty or been discharged because of this vaccine issue. 
So all, we're, we're already 50% in the Army, or roughly wherever it's at right now, of the normal number that they have. So if they had to have 100 every year, they're only at 50. And then you go into the Army, and they've got across the board have lost, say, 60 or 70,000, which means that they need to add another, say, 150 this year. You see the problem we're developing in. Yeah. And, and so that's become uh, something. And I think some of it is just they're, they're seeing the the uh, the awokeness, you know, this wokeness that you talk about. And it's just not somewhere people want to serve anymore. And the last thing I think that is sort of goes along with the military members not telling, you know, wanting their kids or their grandkids or anybody to serve is there. This is a number that will surprise a lot of people. Did you realize that less than two percent of the population of America had a direct involvement in over 20 years of war. Wow. 2%, less than 2% had a direct involvement in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. And so there's the, you, you know, people, but it's just, it's just, you know, it's just gotten to that point where, you know, people are just choosing other alternatives. And frankly, the money's better and the lifestyle's better in other places. So you're losing kids. And then one last thing 17 to 23 year olds. Only about 20, 17 to 24, only about 23% are actually eligible to even come into military based on either drug, crime, criminal conduct, education, or the last one, they can't pass a physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And some people want to blame the lack of um, physical fitness on climate change. <laughs> too hot to go. <laughs> Too hot yeah. to go outside. I don't. I don't know if thumbs on a on a on a uh, PlayStation Correct. is climate change, right? And also deciding that monkey bars are too dangerous and banning kids from getting on them, or you can't jump out of swings anymore at the playground because that you might hurt yourself. It's it's just this <laughs> compounding. It's 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 driving me bats, and I think a lot of people feel like they're on the verge of some sort. They're beating their heads against the wall. They're, like it's it's an insane world right now. And, and that's why I wanted to kind of have this place for, for some sane conversation. Although Doug, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people out there who think I'm just, I'm the problem, you know, that, <laughs> and, well, and you and I are laughing Jill. about it, but there are moments where I go, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm sane. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up right and I got my education and I paid all my loans by myself and I did all these things and I'm, I'm totally self-made as is my husband. And, you know, isn't, isn't that to be celebrated? Uh, and, uh, you know, take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll, we'll ask you about serving in, in Congress because I don't want to get too far afield. And I'm finding myself <laughs> going on a stream of consciousness here, Doug, and I don't want to do that to you or to the <laughs> listeners. All right. Um, you served in Congress. I think people have such disdain for what they're seeing in Washington right now. Doug Collins is going to tell us why we should or should not, or maybe some of both right after this. So I want to tell you about Uncle Tom 2, this documentary that has just dropped, and you can get it on SalemNow.com, and I strongly encourage you to do so. It's a beautifully done, impactful unveiling of what some of this Marxist agenda is doing to our society. And I, I, I just, I watched it, I was mesmerized, and I learned a lot, and it opened my eyes to things I didn't know about before I watched it. Go check it out. It's Uncle Tom too. It's on Salem Now. Go to SalemNow.com and order it. 
Doug, sir, what made you want to serve in Congress in the first place? Because I still have the founder's dream uh, in many ways. I, I am the epitome in many ways. And I know this may sound tried and true and everything else, but I, I am the Mr. Smith who goes to Washington. I'm a trooper's kid from North Georgia. My daddy was a Georgia State trooper. I was the. I went to college. My dad and mom didn't really get a, they didn't get a chance to go. I, I believed in our founder's vision of a government that is representative of the people. And I actually believe that Washington is still a place where you can actually get things done to help people. What you find, though, is especially in the last 20 to 30 years, that that vision has changed a great deal. Um, I still think you can do it. I was able to pass a, a lot of help pass a lot of legislation signed by both President Obama and President Trump that made real change to help people. But I'm going to tell you, that's the oddity in Washington, D.C. It's not the normal anymore. And when you say help people, because, again, we, there, I think we need to draw the distinction between just giving people stuff. Right versus helping people. So when you wanted to help people through legislation, what did that mean to you? What did that look like? Well, several things. I'll give you some some great examples. Number one, um, the I got in the Judiciary Committee, in which I became ranking member, which meant I was the, the top Republican sitting next to Jerry Nadler. If we'd have won in 2018, I'd have been chairman, uh, is that it covers a vast amount of stuff. Everybody only sees the budgets. They see the big battles, guns, abortion, those kind of things in Washington. But a lot of what we do in business can be uh, go back to Washington. There's legislation that either can help businesses, help people do that. One of the areas that I dealt with was in the area of creative content. The digital age, whether you get your music on your phone, you get on your computer, uh, had developed to the such that it was over 100 years old. We were still dictating how people, the government, listen to this, the government was dictating how songwriters, artists all get paid. They still do this today. But with the digital side, there was a big inequity from those who wrote the songs to those who performed the songs and how they got paid. We were able to write a bill called the Music Modernization Act that simply said, hey, there's fairness. It, it, like when you put out this podcast, it's intellectual property. It is, it's right. yours. And, and the market should determine, you know, your advertisers, everything. It's like with mine, you know, that I want to be a part of it. The government, you'd be surprised. The government regulates the music you hear on the radio or on, on the Internet more than they regulate even some election processes. So think about that one for a second. Um, so, but we were able to how fix- do they do that? How do they get away with this? I don't, I don't understand that. Like music is art. <laughs> it's been, it goes back a hundred years. In fact, one of the laws that we actually, the mechanical rights, if it was what it's called in copyright, it goes back a hundred years to player pianos. I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay. They didn't want they didn't want a monopoly on player pianos. That's what I, and then in the fifties, they had consent decrees that have been operating for 60 years now. Um, on basically the the publishers and songwriters have to go uh, to a, a royalty board to figure out how much they get. It, it, they just can't say, here, I write a song. You give me $100, you give me $1,000, i will sell it to you. That ain't the way yeah. it works. So that was one area. But one of the bigger areas, I also dealt with some business stuff with copyright. With other, but one of the big ones that really, for me, uh, sort of defined a lot of what I did was called the First Step Act. And it was criminal justice reform. And this was uh, myself. I worked across the aisle with a gentleman named Hakeem Jeffries, who's now the majority caucus chair. Um, And Donald Trump signed this bill. He actually ran on this bill. And it was a really good thing. Criminal justice reform, as it's being portrayed by liberals right now, is not criminal justice reform. It's it's the furthest thing from it. Right. Criminal justice reform says that if you commit a crime, you're going to pay for that crime in proportion to what needs to be done. Okay. Right. And that we took this bill 
reformed how, you know, if you chose to, when you're in federal prison, you chose to get better. You know, maybe you're addicted to alcohol, drugs, maybe you have mental health issues, maybe you had just uh, anger issues, maybe you didn't have education. We're going to give you the ability, you're going to sit in jail anyway. Why don't we give you the ability to get skills so that when you come out, you can actually be productive citizens? Most people don't realize that if you go to jail in this country, prison, jail, however you want to define it, 95% of everyone who goes to jail comes home at some point. 95%. So the question is, are we as conservatives just going to pour money into a basically a system that produces better criminals? Or are we going to say, look, we're going to pay for this either way. Why don't we actually work with people to get them off drugs, get them the health they need so that they come back and be productive, tax-paying citizens? Um, those are the kind of things we worked on that actually are making differences in people's lives. So can Washington still do that? Yes. Does that make the news? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the first step act was that was signed into law. How do you see it? It, it, it? This is just applying to federal prisons, correct? Right. right. And, and it came from states. A lot of states had already worked on this for a conservative. It, I, I described it this way. It was the M&Ms, like the old m M&M. and It's monies and morals. For a conservative, I would appeal to you on the moral basis that everybody deserves a second chance, especially people of faith. We, we believe in second chances. Um, and now if you do blow your second chance, that's, you know, again, on you. But there's a moral aspect of this that people uh, sometimes make mistakes. They need to be given a chance of redemption. But also from a money standpoint, Michelle, we're going to pay to keep people in prison. Or we're going to pay to help them with their mental illness, or we're going to pay in in social services for the addiction and broken families. Why don't we actually look at stuff that is scientifically based, not just "Hey, I feel sorry for you. You had such a bad childhood. Why don't you just go back out and do it again?" No, that's 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 what liberals do. Right. We're simply saying is is get yourself together, accountability courts, DUI courts, drug courts, these kind of things, where you're paying for your treatments, but you're getting better in the process, and recidivism rates plummet. One of the things right now, it's easy for conservatives to go out there and say, get tough on crime, lock them all up. It, it doesn't work. Okay, number one, it doesn't work. We've proved it over the years. Number two, it also misses who we are as conservatives to reach into communities that have only heard from government is, is that you are a separate class of citizen. You'll be treated separately. This is a chance for conservatives to embrace communities and say, hey, look, we're all in this together. Do you see enough of that conservatism in Washington today? Um, not as much as I'd hope to be. I think the problem we've got on both sides right now is, and I, I've said this when I was in Congress and I say it now as I travel across the country and, and do podcasts and do everything else. Um, it's too easy now to do the, the high profile stuff as I call it. It's too easy now to get your five minutes of fame on YouTube. It's too easy now to have the Twitter that goes viral. Um, what is hard, and, and I'll use those two bills that I talked about, both of those bills took me over four years to get passed. Yeah. I mean, we had to work at it. And there was yeah. other bills that I haven't even went into. But it's just easier now. And, and here's what's done it. The internet, the 24-hour news cycle, and social media. And also leadership in Congress that says, just let us handle the big stuff, and we're not really concerned about legislating. And that's what has caused us. And also the separation. Um, Republicans and Democrats, it, it's everything is a partisan battle, and that has become a problem. There's a line from the musical Hamilton that I love: "Winning is easy, governing's harder." Oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> very much so. It, it is because it, because here's what's happening: we've divorced Michelle reality from politics. 
Let me explain. In business, you and I will go out here and negotiate, say, for a, a contract for a podcast or a car. We'll negotiate. You know, I say, hey, I want 100. You say you want 150. Hey, what about 125? Or how about with this? Or throw in this. That's normal. We do it every day in business world. We do it every day in our personal life. But yet I can't tell you how many people when I was a member of Congress who said, why did you vote that way? You caved, you you compromised. And no matter what I could tell them about the bill, that was good. It was the old Ronald Reagan principle. If I can get 80% of what I want, I'll get that and I'll come back and get the other 20% later. That has almost yeah. been put off the table for both conservatives and liberals because we have very loud voices on both sides that say you can't compromise. Now, some of it's justified because they've watched conservatives especially give too much in many ways. Yeah. Liberals mm-hmm. feel like they have. But there's a balance that could be struck. But we, again, people ask me all the time about Congress. Why is Congress so bad? And when I remind them that they simply reflect the people who elect them, they don't really have an answer. <laughs> I think that's a great note on which to end. But, Doug, I'd love to have you on again. We could talk about so many issues, and your perspective is so interesting and and unique. And I really appreciate you being on with us. No, this has been wonderful. I look forward to it. Listen, you know, look, we got we may have a partnership developing here. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? All right, he is Doug Collins. You can find him at Rep Doug Collins on Twitter. I'm Michelle Tafoya. This is Sideline Sanity. Be brave. Do good and check out Doug Collins podcast too.